0: The Criterion Connection, a podcast where two film lovers explore the Criterion Collection by connect get it, the fun get it, by connecting these iconic films to each other through the greater tapestry of cinema. We craft double features of films that are connected in some way to one another, be that thematically, through the artists, the decade, the artistic movement, and so much more. The only caveat is that every film we watch must be a part of the Criterion Collection. We also highlight new additions to the collection each month, like we'll be doing today. Great hidden gems we watch on the Criterion channel and more. I'm Mackenzie, and this is my co host, Ian. Hi, Ian.
1: Hello, Mackenzie.
0: <laughs> it's time to talk
1: about the Music Room with you today. Also, what's coming to the Criterion channel next month?
0: Yes, the Music Room is what we are talking about today. Spy number 573 by the great Satya Jat Ray. We're doing it. We're, I think this is our first film where we're going to India. We got a taste of it a little bit with Mississippi Masala and the great Mira Nair, um, who I'll talk about it. There's some great interviews with her under this film on the Criterion channel that I recommend everyone check out. But uh, yeah, we're, we're 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 branching out into new countries, new experiences. Uh, really excited to talk about that. And you're right. Yes. New additions to the Criterion channel. And uh, unfortunately, we are Recording on the 14th, I was already salty on our Instagram about this, that we are unfortunately not going to be able to tell you about the new uh, spines, the new editions, but you will see them by the time this episode comes out, and we will talk about them next week.
1: Hey, just spread the wealth over our many episodes, so next episode, we'll get to talk about them a little bit, and hopefully hear from y'all what y'all are excited about as well.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, Mackenzie, before we get to those Criterion channel editions, yes. I gotta know... After that eloquent soliloquy about the you know, rightful place Armageddon has in the Criterion <laughs> collection on last week's ADP, what are you watching on ADP this week? What else have you watched? I gotta hear your The Bandwagon takes. I saw four stars, but no art. And maybe a little bit about your uh, ongoing Billy Wilder journey.
0: Oh, yes. Wow. Look at that. that what an intro. Um, yeah. This week on ADP, we're talking about Waiting for Guffman, uh, a great film that I love, uh, Directed by Christopher Guest. It's like a very peak Mackenzie Kev movie. Uh, many of you have probably seen it. Um, you know, it's it wasn't directed by Guest, but it's similar in tone to Spinal Tap, which is like spine number nine or something in the Criterion Collection. So that's fun. Um, so yeah, we're talking about that on ADP today. I also talked a little bit on that show about Witness for the Prosecution. So I will, I will put a pin in that and come back because I will also, much like I did to Kev, give you a huge recommendation for what is for the prosecution um but yeah i'll give you my bandwagon thoughts i i am using my now that i've moved to full stars which i still stand by sometimes i doubt myself but i say no 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 McKinsey. it's it's you aesthetically like the cleanliness of it and you it, it makes me feel like i'm making being more decisive about how i feel about films and so i use half stars to be my aunt or hearts to be my honorary half stars uh and so the reason why the bandwagon is just four stars no heart, is because i just thought it was a four star movie i didn't think it was a four and a half star movie um yeah i thought i mean i know you really loved it you talked about it last week i think correct i feel like i'm just losing my brain um yeah i thought it was really really fun i think you know obviously it's trying to kind of be the the new york equivalent of singing the rain almost uh you know a lot of similar artists were involved. I think the writers were the same, right? The writers for singing in the rain also wrote this, I believe. Oh, I actually didn't Um, know that. Yeah. So like they, they're definitely trying to kind of do the same kind of stick of like people who are being left behind as art continues to kind of morph and change and grow. Um, and obviously I love the meta narrative of Fred Astaire clearly just playing himself kind of, um, I thought it was really good. I I don't honestly remember why I gave it just four stars at five. I think it did drag a little bit at times for me. And that might be why it didn't quite. There was a part where I was just like, where are we going with this? And then, but I mean, that, that ending section is so brilliant and great that, you know, I love when an MGM musical ends with an unneeded 15 minute uh, dance interlude because I will watch it and I will love it. Uh, so that's great. Um, yeah. So I think there was just times where I thought it dragged and it's hard for me with these MGM musicals. Not to hold it to the standard of Sing in the Rain, which I think is like a perfect movie. And so, um, you know, it didn't quite take my heart as deeply as uh, Sing in the Rain did. And yeah, I feel like for me, that's my barometer of like a five star MGM musical is is that. Uh, And so I thought the bandwagon was really great. I think it's definitely my favorite of the MGM musicals collection on the channel that I've watched. I definitely think it's the best one of that. Because we all know how I feel about American in Paris, okay? Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that the bandwagon is definitely my favorite. I think so far from the ones I've watched, it's like bandwagon number one, Harvey Girls right below that, because Harvey Girls was really fun. For me and my gal, great movie, not like fully my favorite thing in the entire world, but a pretty good movie. And then American in Paris <laughs> and dead last is where I've, I think I've landed so far with my MGM musicals journey. Um yeah, I liked it. And I'm so glad you loved it. Like I love that you fell
1: in love with this movie and
0: um have, has it has retained its five stars. I know sometimes you could flux a little
1: bit. Oh yeah, I flux all the time. I'm notorious uh at least with uh, with you and some of our friends for <laughs> fluxing. But no, no, no. I uh, thought about it for a brief second, but I was like, no, it's just too good. And the uh Twiplets number has become famous in our household, our yes. group chat between my sister-in-law, my uh, wife and I is the photo of Fred Astaire and the other two in the triplets uh, garb. Um, and we just sing it back and forth to each other all the time. One
0: of, the, one of those lyrics where it's like, I wish I had a gun. Am I crazy? Uh, a
1: widow gun.
0: Uh, yeah. I wish I had a widow gun. Uh, da, da, da. It's like, excuse me. <laughs> Rachel was in another room, I think, while I was watching this. And she was like, or she was like in the sh- and all I knew is she was not in the room while I was watching this. So she did not see the visuals of this of this sequence. And she came in, like, five minutes after it and was like, was someone talking about a gun? Like, what are you watching? Like, like Rachel was so, like hearing this in the other room and being deeply confused. Everyone, if you have not watched the bandwagon, please at least look up the triplets number because it will haunt your nightmares and your dreams for, for years to come. It's it's so weird I it's love so how weird like, it's so good not to spoil the bandwagon I guess but I feel like we're gonna revamp the show and it's just like weird unconnected vignettes yeah. I yeah. love how at least the first version of the show which is a flop that's part of the, the plot at least has a plot presumably and structure and then the second the, the when they redo the show it's just weird shit all sewn together and like what the hell is this and it's a hit or
1: buchanan buchanan's character like is originally like oh my god this is a great story and like they they tell uh fred astaire's character the story of this amazing musical they've written and then at the very end it's like let's rework the show and you think okay they're gonna go back to the og version and yeah. it's like what the fuck is this folly shit
0: Well, it seems like the final number, the big ball, like that ballet, but the big like fifteen minute dance number at the end is the original musical that they talked about. But then you're sitting there going, "Then what the fuck are they dressed up as babies who are shooting each other for? Like what is? (laughs) Like it's it's (laughs) just very goofy." Um, But uh, not to keep us too long. Uh, Other than that, I checked out Alphaville and I fucking hated it. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I don't know if did. that's worth talking about I just uh, did not like it. I was so like the I don't like normally saying things like this because it feels slightly rude and if it's being rude please call me out on it the voice of that everyone keeps calling him Emperor Palpatine but the voice of that narrator in Alphaville hearing all of the mouth noises from this man's narration was hell for me personally with headphones on hearing that like. Oh, yeah, yeah. he has this weird scratchy voice and you're hearing all of the saliva at all times in his mouth it was the worst thing in the entire world <laughs> and then yeah I just thought the, the the camera work was so amateurish like it felt like it, the performances were nothing burger the the production design non-existent it's supposed to be in the future and they're just like in hotel rooms and in, in Paris uh the story was completely like to me incomprehensible to follow um I was I am a major hater of Alphaville um I don't know if we'll ever do it it may be interesting to try to like watch it and discuss it but I did not like it <laughs> at all but I will try I've promised many people I will try Godard again I'm not going to give up on on Godard but like damn that I think that sucked real hard that sucked that sucked eggs
1: I mean, we share an opinion there. Alphaville is probably, in my opinion, his worst film. I know it's uh, beloved by many people, but you know, you and I had a semi-lengthy discussion after I saw that, and I was like, don't worry. like, At least uh, you know, Pierre Le Fou is a fun film. At least Masculine Feminine is dealing with really interesting themes. Alphaville just is, yeah, I think it kind of sucks, but that's also just my opinion well, as well
0: mine too <laughs> we yeah. both hate it I love it um I've been watching a lot of Siskel and Eber and I like that that's how they also sometimes in conversations where they agree that they it sucked like oh, that was great bad all right moving on and the next film is like that's what I just reminded myself of um god I feel like i watched a lot I mean I, I watched Rear Window but you also watched some Hitchcock so maybe we'll 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 talk about it in your section uh because I don't want to keep us too long but I do want to say on ADP I gave a passionate plea. Uh, to Kev and our listeners, and I will do the same to you to watch Witness for the Prosecution. Uh it ripped, I love Mr. Billy Wilder. 2024 is the year of Wilder for me. I'm gonna finish his filmography next year. I'm dedicated to it. You know, he only has 26 films. It's honestly pretty accomplishable. Like I could take a month and just like binge Billy. Um I love his movie so much. I love the way he writes. I love the way he tells stories visually. I love the actors he casts. I love I love everything about a Billy Wilder movie. Even like quote unquote bad Billy Wilder. Like I watched Sabrina and was just fine with it. Still pretty good. Still looks good. Still well acted. Like like even the eh Billy is pretty good. Another director is pretty good I should say. Um, and so yeah I don't know what compelled me to put on Witness For The Prosecution. I think it was just the one that seemed the most interesting to me out of his um, filmography. And I noticed it was streaming on Tubi. <laughs> So uh, I watched it with ad interruptions which I don't think I would recommend but they've placed them during scene transitions so they they've Tubi has tried to be very intentional about where they're placing ads but uh, if you could rent it or watch it another way I recommend maybe watching it without uh, ads.
1: It is on Canopy for boom. library card holders. Boom
0: boom boom. I need a library card so bad but there's a whole a whole thing with not worth getting into, um, but it's also <laughs> an MGM Plus, which I don't know who has that, but uh, LOL. Uh, but yeah, I w- people
1: who are prime pilled, <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, I watched it. It's great. I mean, it's 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 so obviously a basis for many courtroom dramas of the like. I feel like it's it's one of the totemic courtroom dramas, right, alongside uh, Anatomy of a Murder, uh, alongside like things. What, what's the other? There's like another like iconic i'm thinking of a few good men men. yeah 12 angry men probably like it's, it's i feel like it's one of those totemic courtroom dramas of its time uh and it i see why it's really great it keeps you guessing i i kind of figured it out it was so great i don't want to spoil it you should go in as blind as possible there was a great once you've watched the film i recommend reading up on the the press that they were doing they were terrified people were going to like spoil the ending I think this is also an issue with uh, Psycho I remember reading about Hitchcock's speaking of Hitchcock Psycho how they were very like trying to be like don't tell the ending to your friends because they didn't want anyone to know about Norman being the villain um which again like if I could go into Psycho not knowing that I would have loved that because that makes the movie um so I see why and it, it, they did it again here where they were really trying apparently people were getting these little I solemnly swear not to tell the ending of witness to the prosecution to my friends and family at screenings <laughs> that they would sign and take with them like very fun like they were really trying to keep the ending under wraps because you know it's with these movies that feel like the blueprint it's hard not to figure out where they're going because we've seen so many films riff on them afterward so part way through I was like I think this is what's happening I think this is who did it who done it if you will and we get to the end and I'm like, ha, I was right. And then Billy Wilder throws like eight twists and five minutes in there. And it's like not at all what I thought <laughs> happened. So it's like, it's really great where it's like you you may think you figured it out. And some I've seen some people hate that. They people hate that like in the truly the last five minutes, like a bunch of shit happens. I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, but I could see why some people are like, Slow down, Billy. Maybe we could have rolled these out a little slower because really, like, it, he, <laughs> he makes you feel like the film is wrapped up tight and then boom, 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 boom. And it, it's it's great. And uh, nice. Charles Laudan is mind-blowing in that movie, I think. I think one of the, I told Kev this. I put it on my review. I'm telling y'all this. Uh, I think it's it's sailed up into maybe one of my all-time favorite performances uh, on screen. I loved it. I loved it so much. We talked about Laudan a bit with Night of the Hunter. I think this is my first time seeing him actually as an actor. You know, I've obviously seen his one directing, uh, his one directing piece here on our show. Um, I, it's it's hard to even describe, but like as soon as you see him on screen, he just has it. It's what I don't know. Have we talked about that? Where it's like you see an actor and you're like, fuck, they just have it like he just has it. And he's so good in this role. He's very like Winston Churchill. He's kind of, but also, I mean, this original story was written by Agatha Christie. He kind of reminds me of Poirot in terms of, like, a kind of eccentric genius. Um, and so, I, and I and I like Poirot as a character a lot. So like, I, I I absolutely loved Sir Willifred. He is so good. and Charles Lawton is brilliant in this movie, Marlena Dietrich is great. Uh, and here I, I don't know how many crossover listeners we have, but just in case we don't, my warning. To all witnesses for the prosecution, watchers, there is going to be a five minute sequence where an accent is so bad, you may think the whole film is ruined <laughs> because I was sitting there going, there is no way this accent made it into the final cut of the film. And you're sitting there going, <laughs> this is some of the worst acting I've ever seen in my life. And you go, we've been doing so good for an hour and 20 minutes. What happened? And you're going to get scared and you're going to start shaking in your boots and clutching your pearls and go, no, Billy, no. And then he'll get you right back and the ending is going to be incredible and the accent will not have really mattered at all, I promise. So I've seen some people give it like four, four and a half, specifically because of that accent, which is truly the worst thing in the world. It's so bad. It's a, (laughs) um, let's just say Marlena Dietrich has a very thick German accent. She's trying to do a different accent here does not work at all and uh it's it's really bad but i promise you all you'll get through it and you'll get to the incredible ending um so that is my warning to all what is for the prosecution uh watchers listeners uh that's i have to say that i don't know how much crossover our shows have so i just wanted to make sure everybody knows you'll make it through the cockney accent that no one needed to hear
1: <laughs> you'd be warned <laughs> you'd
0: be warned um yeah, you should check it out. And I really think you'd enjoy it. I know you're a billy head too.
1: It's it's been on my radar and I've got it saved to my watch list on Bam. Canopy. Um yeah, no, it's definitely yeah. up there in the watch list. I should add it to my priority watch list. You know? I
0: love having multiple watch lists. I I identify with that. Uh, <laughs> this is my regular watch list and then my priority watch list, then my other journeys watch list, then my yeah. Um, but speaking of all of our watch lists, Ian, you are, I was saying this, you are banging out some movies right now. You're watching 800 movies a day. Please let me in to some of them that you want to share.
1: Oof. Uh, yeah. And what a week it was, especially on the channel. The channel just has such good programming year round, but right now I think you and I both feel that it's exceedingly good. Yeah. I watched a movie to start off the week that... We talked about uh, when uh, the channel announcement for you know this month that we're in December came out. It was uh, called "When the Cat Comes," or also titled "The Cassandra Cat." This is a film that's from the Czech New Wave from 1963. Your co-host over on ADP Kev gave it five stars when uh, he saw it. Well, I think Film Forum in New York City because he's a cool cat, cool New York cat um but yeah no i really liked it i wasn't amazed as amazed by it at least as kev was it's got some really groundbreaking special effects and it's a really fun um quirky watch that uh i would definitely recommend people check out it's just visually surreal but it doesn't live up to the i think transcendent nature of other Czech new wave films i've seen like Mm. in the collection daisies one of my favorite films of all time but yeah, no, I really do want to point people to it because it's also going to be featured in one of the programs coming next month that we'll talk about here in a bit. Um, but yeah, so I started off with that. I revisited the beautiful, the wonderful, the scrumptious In the Mood for Love on my 4K, 4K disc. Uh, I finally popped in the 4K disc at home, watched it with my whole family, and they all really liked it. So that was a joy. Checked out that uh, Hitchcock program. Started with a weird window, gave it a five bang.
0: Free Window uh, Ripped. I also watched it for the yeah. first time. And I, I'm between, I can't tell where I'm going to land. Need to watch some more Hitchcock before I solidify my rating. But it was really, really good.
1: Yeah. I saw you not give it a rating and I was curious, but you gave it a heart. So I knew you at least liked it. But it's yeah, in no, the I was four just... to
0: five range. Like it's, a, it's, a, it's obviously a masterpiece. It's one of those where it's like, obviously so good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I was just really, really impressed by the staging, the blocking, the camera work. Um and I, I really love Jimmy Stewart. I was telling you this off mic, but the more I see from James Stewart, the more in love with him I get. I think I have like five banged like three of his movies. just like. Yeah. And I watched them like out of nowhere. It wasn't like, I'm going to sit down and watch this film and give myself the theatrical experience like I did with a movie I'll talk about briefly in a second. Um, but yeah, no, just out of nowhere, James Stewart is just like, I think an immensely capable, charismatic and eccentric performer who I really, really love watching on screen. Um, but that wasn't enough to save rope, which was Uh-oh. the Mitch Hickok film I watched and didn't really love it. Um, and I'll basically just chalk it up to one thing. I'm not a fan of that. This movie is going to be one continuous take thing. Mm, that's, um, yeah. So it's iconic for. Her. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for the sake of kind of getting through it a little bit quicker so we can have time to talk just about two things at the very end of this. Um, I saw Oppenheimer. I absolutely loved it. I take back anything negative I've said here or anywhere <laughs> else on the internet. Um, I love that movie so much. I thought it was amazing. Uh, highly recommend it to everybody. And I cannot wait for the Oscars. I cannot wait to see how that thing cleans up. Um, but I also watched uh, Remember that. Remember the Night with Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck. It was their first pairing before Double Identity And y'all, this movie is so cute. Now, there is a very blatant and disgusting, racist caricature for the first 15 minutes of the film. Wow. Fred McAmurray's character has a live-in servant. Um, and He's it's just, it's it's, 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 so bad. Like it, it is, it is cartoonish. It is offensive as fuck. And it's just one of those things where it's like, if this were taken out of the movie, it would probably be a perfect film. Mm. But sadly it is not taken out of the movie and it is very indicative of the 1940s and racist attitudes at the time if it weren't not for that the chemistry between stanwick and mac Murray is honestly even more palpable than it might be in double indemnity just because this movie is so lovely um you know discounting what i just said <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean once we get to you know the 15 minute mark that kind of just goes away and it doesn't crop back up and uh it's it's a really lovely film and it's in this program on the Criterion Channel right now, just two Christmas films starring Barbara Stanwyck, highly recommended to people. Um whew, I'm like speed rounding here, Mackenzie, because you know, I really, yeah, take really take
0: your time. Take your time. Can, well,
1: because I really want to talk about two things, you know, here for just 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 a just a sec. Yeah. And uh, those things are uh, first, I uh, revisited our good old friend from All About Eve, director joseph Mankiewicz with a film he made with Sidney poitier i believe his first starring vehicle possibly his first film role period i didn't do my research all too well but that film is no way out from yes. 1950 and this film is leaving at the end of the month so if you're listening to this in january 2024 sad to say it's probably not viewable at least on the criterion channel now
0: no, yeah, I added this to my like watch before it leaves. Uh, watch list, like, uh, yeah. I'm I'm very interested in this. I I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it.
1: Yeah, well, this is a story about a black doctor during the 1950s. Um, in obviously a fully white staffed hospital, it's not a quote unquote black hospital. Um, and so about him working the night at the prison uh, ward, and uh, he tends to two white men who have just holed up a convenience store. And he suspects that one of them has a brain, brain aneurysm and he begins operating to save the man's life. And as his uh, brother on onlooks, uh, this man dies under the care of Sydney Poitier's Dr. Luther. And the brother of this man believes that Luther has killed the man intentionally because they have for the past five minutes been hurling racist slurs at him and spitting at him and treating him like shit. And so they think because of that, uh, this doctor, this black doctor played by Poitier, has murdered him. And what ensues is essentially just a very nuanced, delicate, and sensitive portrayal of a black man in a white, in a position held by white men only at the time, largely dealing with racism, dealing with institutional racism, dealing with his, you know standing in the black community as a person who occupies the space traditionally inhabited by a white person and how people look at him but also it deals with uh the white people in power who've been given a position to make a real difference in a positive way and hire a black person and give an opportunity to a black person and there's just a lot of language in the film like it doesn't matter what the color of the person's skin is it only matters if they're a good doctor coming from like the you know the albeit now, in today's context, somewhat problematic white savior character in this film. Yeah. But for all intents and purposes, this is not a white savior movie. This is actually about the internal struggle of a black man. And you get up close and personal with this black man's family, with his friends. And there's a depiction of a race riot in this, which is like, that that sounds incendiary. And it is incendiary, but it's also told with a lot of nuance. Um I don't know how else to describe it. So, you know, I just used the word nuance again. But its it, I was just really impressed and taken aback by a movie made in 1950 talking about these issues in a way that seemed thoughtful. And I know this was written by and directed by a white man. It was written and directed by Mink. And, wow. um So, yeah, I mean, it was just really, really interesting. And it's not perfect, and it's not like it's this movie that's, like, the most left-wing bastion of politics in a 1950s America that was largely conservative i'm not saying it's progressive by today's standards but it's not even centrist by today's standards it's definitely it's it's good i know it's good it is good um i love that and i think it's really well worth checking out like i think it's a pretty astounding film pretty incredible historical document and just well acted and well directed and well written because I mean Joseph Mankiewicz is a phenomenal filmmaker in my opinion
0: yeah I gotta check this out it's it's on my list I love when you find movies like that that feel so I don't know I hate saying ahead of their time because
1: like yeah it's so like- hard to talk about because I don't want to like I don't want to be like, it's ahead of its time. Oh, my God. Wow. Black people are giving a fucking... F-. It's like, I don't want to be cheesy about it, but...
0: But for the time, there weren't a lot of stories being centered in film like that. I mean, he's talked about that a lot, right? Like, you know, in, in, in interviews at the time as he was coming up in Hollywood, like, he was really the only person giving opportunities like that because he really had to fight for them. And um, yeah, it reminds me of that bogey film that I love and always evangelized, Black Legion from 1937. That was one of the Warner Brothers, like... um social issues pictures that's like about the kkk and it takes it super seriously and to me i found it to be pretty progressive um for uh for that for the standards back then and again like much more left than than center by today's standards um i always yeah i love when you find little like special films like that and you're like okay we've always had some opposition to the bullshit i guess you know what i mean In in some way there's always been voices that are willing to say different things
1: yeah i mean it's an incredibly tired uh i think observation to make that like racism has always been bad and just to say like well they're from a different time or that's just your grandpappy's opinion is like bullshit as you say and it's like i think we hear this a lot especially since 2020 that like racism has always been around it's always existed people have always chosen to fight against it even people who they benefited from it like they were white people who fought against slavery during the Civil War period. Like, But it's also touchy and complicated because you don't want to then make those out to be the people who are fighting the good fight, when in reality it's the black people and the disenfranchised people who are suffering and who are actually trying to take back what should be theirs, i.e. just basic human respect and rights. Um, so yeah, I think it's complicated to talk about, but all that being said... No Way Out is, I think, a pretty phenomenal film for the system in which it was made. Yeah. um, And is very uh, firmly on the right side of history. um, And I think doing a really damn good job portraying it. Uh, Yeah. And at the heart of the film, that's the last thing I'll say. At the heart of the film is a performance by Linda Darnell. And that's kind of the reason I happened upon this film more so than Joseph Minkowitz, is because I've been watching all the films that were put up on the channel as part of a collection starring Linda Darnell.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: And I gotta say, besides My Darling Clementine, I have not been impressed with any of these films. And her performance in My Darling Clementine is a little inconsequential. That's a Henry Ford, uh, sorry, that's a Henry Fonda vehicle, mm. and uh, he's amazing in it, and she's just kind of a side character. So she's not really, you know, the draw there. But she is a phenomenal uh, performer in this film, giving an amazing performance as a woman who is married to the man that dies. At the hand of Doctor Luther, and basically, is the is the audience surrogate at least for the white audience in which we are supposed to show a change of heart? A like I had terrible racist views. At least I was convinced into those views, and then I, through seeing the heinous acts committed against black people by white people, have come to you know learn change. the error of my ways. Yeah. Again, kind of a moral tale or a proverb or a uh, you know. Kind of like what you're talking about with that bogey film. It's definitely like the issues drama part of the film. Mm Right But, you know, it's effective at the very end of the day.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. But um, let's quickly, just super quick, just because we're getting pretty late in this episode. Oh my gosh, it's almost 40 minutes on. I'm sure when it's edited, it'll be a little bit less. But y'all, we've been talking a lot about so many movies that are not the music room. And we're going to keep talking about movies that are not the music room. uh, Because real quick, we're just going to highlight some of uh, the things we're most interested in for the january 2024 lineup on the criterion channel um but ian what's catching your eye for january
1: well the biggest things that are catching my eye are the starring ava gardner program with a couple of things i have seen but some things i haven't uh most notably a film that you gave three stars starring your boyfriend called the barefoot contessa yes that i really want to see
0: make a wigs too i think
1: I believe, Yeah, it is. It's Joseph Mankiewicz. It's uh, been on Tubi and I've almost pulled the plug a couple times on just, you know, breaking down and watching it on Tubi. But thankfully, I won't have to do that because it's coming to the Criterion channel. And yeah, there's just a couple other things in there. I really love her. I loved her in The Killers with Burt Lancaster. Um, And then the only other things that I'll mention since we're running low on time is there is this Czech sci-fi movie. Uh, coming out that I heard about a while ago when I was just like browsing uh indie video store. It's called Icarie XB1. And it oh, is supposed what? to be like the blueprint for 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, it's supposed to be phenomenal. It's just, it is a landmark achievement in the science fiction genre. Uh, once again, that's Icarie XB1. And uh, I, I know this got a 4K restoration this year. And so that's got to be why it's coming to the channel. And I'm so excited to check it out because I really like Czech film. Um, Yeah, and then final, final thing I want to mention. It's something I've already seen, but I want to tell people that it's coming back to the channel. It's part of their Encores and Reprises. Catherine Bigelow's Vampire Western, Near Dark, is coming back to the channel. And y'all, this movie is so effing hard to see. The rights issues with it, I don't know what couldn't really tell you but you cannot see it you cannot own it for like less than a hundred dollars on like a limited edition blu-ray but criterion got it last october not this previous one the one before and they had it up for a month and i believe it'll only be up for a month more but if you can make time to check out katherine Bigelow's near dark on the channel in january Mackenzie, what about you, real quick? Oh,
0: gosh. Okay. I mean, obviously, <laughs> Cat Movies is great. I'm not going to linger on it. I love Cats. Uh, check out The Long Goodbye. Uh, I'm excited for to watch the Cat Movies. Um, I think what I'm most excited about, weirdly, is the Handmade Films uh, collection. Nice. Um, Because, uh, you know, they're kind of a British producing distribution company. Um, and there's, like, so many films that are in the collection that are going to be in this that I've been, like, uh, I'll check that out at some point. And now I'm like, I have no excuse because they're all here. Uh, films like The Long Good Friday with my boy Bob Hoskins. I love him. Uh, Time Bandits. Uh, oh my God, Scrubbers. Is that that Mae Zetterling film? Or am I crazy?
1: No, no, that's it. Yeah, that's oh it. Oh my
0: God, that's coming to the yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, that's a weird, <laughs> like, lesbian prison movie that may zetterling did i'm reading this in actual time i did not see that before um incredible uh mona lisa that i've been wanting to check out for a while with nail and i um just a lot of like great movies that i've been meaning to check out and have a perfect uh excuse to now uh and all of those are in the criterion collection with the exception of scrubbers but i'm i cannot believe that's going to be on the channel i'm so excited to see it um roots and revolution break on film looks really awesome i'm assuming they're releasing that to kind of coincide with the release of the new bob marley biopic
1: yeah it seems like it
0: yeah um there's a film in there called babylon that i've been wanting to watch for a while so uh, excited i'll have a chance to watch babylon I live in the top four of a uh, uh boom from the Cynonauts podcast if people listen to that uh, i think it's in her top four and so that's why i've been aware of it and so excited to see that I mean, God, the Sundance favorites thing is there's a hundred movies and they're all amazing. Desert Hearts, which I always recommend. Smooth Talk, Working Girls. I, I'm just like looking at some of the Poop Dreams. Doom Generation, like, I mean, absolutely crazy picks for Sundance. Um, yeah, lots of wild stuff. I, but here's the thing. The last thing I want to say, what the hell is go? I've never heard of this movie. The Music of Regret. The photo for this film is Meryl Streep in a weird bad wig, sitting on a bench next to a ventriloquist dummy. And to say, oh, yeah. to say I'm intrigued um, is an understatement. Putting it lightly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I, <laughs> I am so confused by what this movie is uh, that I will be watching it the second it's on the channel. Because what does it say? It says, An extension of artist Laurie Simmons's photographic work in which she stages dreamlike tableaus using puppets and dolls in a musical... What the hell is this? So I will be watching this only because I've never heard of it. The picture is cuckoo bananas looking. And I don't know. Yeah, I I need to see this movie. What's going on?
1: I was just scrolling through the list and I came across that and I was like, what, 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 what?
0: Yeah, so (laughs) weird. Like, I don't, that's that picture is hilarious. Uh, I will be checking out that movie. But um, yeah, there's so much great stuff uh coming at the channel as always. Again, if you are not subscribed yet, can't recommend it more go check out the longer lineup see what you're excited about let us know what you're excited about on our instagram or on our emails um but we gotta talk about the music
1: room we We gotta we
0: are people who came from the music room are (laughs) sitting there tapping their little their little little watches going what the hell guys so um ian
1: or they just broke down and used the the chapters in the description you can
0: always use the chapters i don't know if you all know that ian puts chapters in our episodes and uh so you should do that um but ian please Without, truly without further ado, <laughs> we are almost three quarters of an hour into this episode. Let's talk about the music room.
1: With The Music Room, Satyajit Ray brilliantly evokes the crumbling opulence of the world of a fallen aristocrat, played by the beloved actor Chabi Biswas. Desperately clinging to a fading way of life, his greatest joy is The Music Room, in which he has hosted lavish concerts over the years, now a shadow of its former vivid self, an incandescent depiction of the clash between tradition and modernity, and a showcase for some of India's most popular musicians of the day. The Music Room is a defining work by the great Bengali filmmaker. Sadjanji so raise The Music Room. Alrighty, Mackenzie. So, thank you so much for bringing this to us. I am really excited that we finally get to go and travel to India on the show. I was wondering when we were going to get there. But before we kind of talk about the film, I'd love to know like briefly how this came into your sphere and if you have any real relationship with Ray at all.
0: No, this is my first film uh, directed by him. I think I talked about it last week about how I was um, working at a theater that produced this one man show called Dishwasher Dreams. I I think they're turning into a documentary, so I don't know. And Sidney Poitier comes up in the show in a really fun and interesting way. So I don't know. If y'all ever see the show Your Dreams coming to a city near you or the documentary, uh, 100% recommend it. Um, and in that uh, one-man show, Aladdin Ula, who is the titular one man of the one-man show, um, talks about seeing Panther Patali and how, you know, as a, as a person from Bengal, like, that was the first, uh, he was, he talks, there's a very funny. he's a comedian, so it's a very funny show. There's a very funny extended sequence about how much he hated Bollywood films. And um, when he was little, that was what his parents took him to do. That was what you did every weekend was you would go and you would sit in these um, really excitable theaters and you would, the parents would love these amazing kind of Bollywood epics, but he was always kind of bored by them because he wanted to watch baseball and not musicals. Uh, and then he talks about how Pather Pachali was, like, a life-changing moment for him, seeing this film about a little boy who grew up in a place that kind of that was similar to where his dad grew up and, like, reminded him of this life he never had. And I was so fascinated. I was like, what is this? And um, I've been wanting to do the Apu-, Apu Trilogy for a while, and I thought it might be a fun journey for us to go on at some point. So I was like, okay, I'm going to save the Apu Trilogy. But I think recently... I wish I could remember why, but I think recently I saw someone talking about the music room. Maybe the, a friend of mine reviewed it, or it was it was in some sort of video essay I was watching. The music room specifically came to my mind through just seeing it recently. I think in my sphere, I I, I can't super remember the exact reason why, um, but I put it on my watch list, and I was like, oh, I really want to watch this. I really want to watch a Satyajit Ray film. Uh, and yeah, when you and I were just kind of talking about switching up some of the programming, because we we do this thing where we we over like schedule and then when we get to the week we're actually covering the film. we're like let's change it uh and so we were talking about kind of changing things i was like you know i'm really in the mood to try uh ray out as a filmmaker and you were really open to it and so that's why i kind of chose the music room so this is the first film i've watched by him i'm excited to watch more i think it'd be really fun to do the output trilogy one day um but ian this is this is also your first film by him correct
1: yeah. And outside of that, I've really only ever heard him in reference to the influences of Wes Anderson. Um, now, I know he's definitely had influence on many of our favorite films, especially, him. yeah, especially many in the Western canon, like Marty. Um, but yeah, I always hear about how he had a lot of influence on Wes's latest film. I mean, obviously, the influence is, you know, deeply noted and rooted in. Um, Darjeeling Limited, a film that takes place in India and is kind of critiquing the white Western view of India. Um, but yeah, I mean, just outside of that, I feel like he comes up time and time again for Wes Anderson, uh, just as a visual and uh, narrative influence. But yeah, no, this was the first time. And like when you brought it to me, I was like, absolutely, it would have been meaning to check out some Ray um, and just kind of get get into older Indian film, because I've seen some Bollywood stuff, I've seen some Tollywood stuff, but never watched anything, I think, outside of this decade from them, at least the country. Um, I had a couple of thoughts watching this film. I was really, really interested in the chandeliers as this visual motif, but specifically even more so than that, and I think it relates to what I'm about to say in a way, even though I'm not totally sure how, but like the way that music is kind of dispersed throughout the story to tell the story of this man who's obsessed with music and kind of obsessed with the life that he has not maybe left behind, but he's fallen behind the wayside just like the life that he loved. But the only thing that can kind of recapture that for him is these concerts, this music, um, which I thought was really beautiful. But that's kind of like the main thing I was seeing in this film is like better days gone you know but you are also gone with them i think this movie is really a story about a man who's like fallen with the times you know
0: yeah i mean I, I definitely did the music as a highlight it was great as soon as it started i recognized the the music from the Darjeeling limited because the, the it's the same uh anderson uses the music that opens this film with, with his opening sequence with bill murray which we discussed uh a little while back so it was kind of fun to make those connections between uh darjeeling and this uh, musically but yeah i mean the music is absolutely the highlight and like um i think it's interesting I, I was reading another review i was talking about how like the three kind of main performances really anchor the film right because we have that kind of initial performance with the um i don't want to speak i don't i don't think it is a sitar i don't want to speak of the instrument because i can't but she's playing the kind of stringed instrument um with the tabla, which is the drums. I do know that because uh, the show I saw actually had a live tabla player and it was really, really great because he would kind of percuss- percussively score the play and it was wonderful. Uh, he was a very nice guy. And i it was, it's a crazy instrument. I don't know how he does it. Um, but she's playing and um, yeah, I was watching that those Mira Nair videos and she was talking about how these are, yeah, are artists of the time that were super popular. I mean, that first vocalist, she's one of the most iconic vocalists in India. And uh, and she. so it was interesting to me that he, Clearly, Ray has a passion for this music as well because he is putting these artists that presumably at the time people in India would see this film and be like, "Oh my God, I know that person!" Like it would it it's probably akin to us seeing a famous you know a Taylor Swift in a movie or something today, which is the silliest comparison ever. But I can't think of another artist off the top of my head. Um, and then look at that! I my my favorite was the promise of the second one, this like haunting vocalist <laughs> with this huge beard, and there was a part where like he's doing his kind of um singing where he's kind of just kind of fluctuating up and down and then like the beat drops I don't know how else to describe it but like when the music comes in with him I was like vibing hard I was like this rips and then obviously that great dance sequence at the end um that's like hypnotizing like you to me you feel I feel like I was with Roy there which is interesting that the character is Roy and Satya's just Rey is Ray you know I'm seeing similarities there, kind of similar last week where a main character is maybe similar to the director um yeah like you you feel like you're falling into this hypnotism alongside him with her dancing and so yeah the music is absolutely the highlight of this film um i forget where you were where you went with the second part of your thought because i got distracted remembering these sequences but like they're absolutely the highlights of the film for me and the way the film just uses music and scoring I think the whole way through it's just it creates such an immaculate vibe like it's a very it's a much more vibey movie than I was anticipating it to be
1: yeah no 100% well and I think the the way just you saying that the music is definitely the highlight of the movie kind of underscores the kind of direction I was headed with the point I was making is that You know, this is a to me. This was a story about a man who has fallen with the times. He remembers Mm, a very lavish and decadent life. He's obviously a very wealthy landlord um, who has kind of lost the, I guess, decorum or lost the status that he had once held. But the music, the music is like the only way he's able to hang on to that. Because I think we are led to believe, and you can definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but that you know he's always given concerts. He's always been known as being a lover of not just music, but like a um, appreciator of the arts, a connoisseur, if you will. And it seems as, as one day long ago, you know, he was giving very lavish parties with all this music surrounding it and everything and having these concerts in this music room. And basically continuing on just that, just having the music around is like his only way to hang on to that, to that status, to that decorum. That he once held in this community. Cause you know, the film opens up on him alone, isolated, except for two servants is, two doting servants. And uh, you know, you know, obviously there are more characters in the movie and there's a lot of tragedy that befalls this man, but it just seems like he's living in the past with this music.
0: Yeah, like he's absolutely um it kind of reminds me of how I think a lot of like Republicans are feeling now. Uh, not that there's, like, they're the minority. Like, I think that our country, uh, in a horrifying way to me, is pretty split in terms of its political views. But I do think that they're realizing that, like, we, people like us, are loud and we will we will fight back. We will protest. We will show up. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of, like, older people who are realizing, like, the walls are closing in on them a little bit and their views are not always going to be the popular views. That And, and I think, yeah, I don't know. He, he does feel like a man. That metaphor is very messy and I think I'm going to abandon it, but I agree with you that he is a man who is like, he's behind. Yeah. He's, he's so obsessed with his own indulgences and his own um, wants and needs. He's ignoring um, a lot of the things that are happening outside of the music room, right? The music room is his, his world and the world outside is nothing to him almost. And I think a big part of the film that, um, is a detriment to it. And it's not the film itself, but it's more me as a person is there's a lot of, I think historical context I'm missing from this. And so I think another important part of his downfall as a person is that he is a late, you know, is a landlord is from a, de- he's descended from a line of landlords of, uh, of people who have presumably ruled over a land or, you know, a couple of lands for a, a for obviously many years, for generations and where he is coming in is uh, around the Indian independence movement. I'm seeing, you know, this is when British rule is starting to um, be destroyed, <laughs> yeah, in, 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 in India. And I think because of that, like, you know, that there's that whole sequence that it's, you know, he's ignoring the floods, he's ignoring the cyclones, he's ignoring the things that are happening on his land um, because he's so obsessed with the music room. And so I think that there's, like, I I don't want to speak too much about it because I just think I'm going to speak incorrectly on it. Um, but it seems like there's a lot of like political context that went a little over my head in regards to why he is so um, in squalor now. Like I, I the impression I'm getting is that like he was a bad landlord. He didn't take care of people during British rule and the 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 wars and the the atrocities that were committed during during the independence movement. And he was not protecting people. He was blowing all his money away on stupid shit. Not that music's stupid, but you understand what I mean. And now he's left without people, without money, without music. Like, because his priorities are sort of in the wrong place, he's now left with nothing. I guess that's the impression I got. And I think based on what I've seen on Wikipedia, like the the, the neighbor who he's always comparing himself to, it's kind of interesting. He's kind of new money while uh, where where Roy is kind of old money, I would say. And I think that there, maybe there's also something there. I, I think that, and there's also stuff with the cast system that Mira and I are talked about that definitely went over my head. So I, I think I'm totally rambling right now, but I, I think that this, maybe one of the detriments to the film for my experience of it personally, and not the film itself, is I just think there's a lot of context that I just don't know. I don't, I just don't get. And I think that part of why he is the way he is, why he is so poor is due to this political context that, is not explained in the film because presumably audiences at that time did not need it explained to them. Um, but I do, and so I'm. I think I'm missing. There's a bit of a disconnect for me there.
1: Yeah, and I can totally understand that, and I'm with you a large, uh, for a large part of it. I am somewhat familiar with the Indian caste system. I think more than the average person, but still, I am. I am still ignorant. Um, so I don't want to at all be like you know. Here you go. Here's the. Here's the. Here's the way the things. One thing I do know is that when you are born into your cast, there are certain jobs that only your cast can achieve. But also they're just like, you know, those are just the jobs that you do. And also those are your places in life. It's very rigid. Um, And so like if you are born into the cast that this Roy has been born into, you like one of the few things you can do is be a landlord. You can't be anything below that. And you can't be anything above that, but there are like things at this station that you can be. In. And obviously, he comes from a line of landlords because he his family's belongs to that caste. So the only they can be landlords, and in a way that like kind of leads into what's happening here, because like it doesn't matter if you're a shitty landlord. Not that it matters here, um, but there, it's like you know that's just that is your lot in life. That is your that is your station. Like you will be a landlord. It doesn't really matter how good of one or a bad of one you are. Um, I mean, that's, like, what's so, I think, one of the many, 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 many things that's detrimental about the caste system is, like, you know, you just are put into this position whether or not you want it or not. uh, And that's just what you've got to do. But, yeah, no, I mean, it seems like the... I don't know. It's just, it seems like the only thing he truly ever cared about, and he just had the luxury of obtaining it from his station, was this music. And I really loved in that Mira Nair uh interview because i watched it too where she talks about how like i totally get this because i don't even feel like i'm breathing until the music starts playing it's like music is just it's like the breath of life is like i'm paraphrasing but it's kind of what she says and i like how you made the comparison to hour of the wolf with bergman being the max von Sydow character and maybe there's like something to be said of the ray roy um one-to-ones possibly Because like the music is so lovingly photographed, filmed, and centered in this film. I I like think I like feel like I wanna get away from it and talk about other things, but also it's called the music room and the music is so central to this film. I yeah, and I before I, you know, kick it over to you, I just wanna emphasize how I was also entranced by that final dance sequence. It was the most striking moment in the film to me.
0: Yeah, I mean the way it's filmed, like I love those those Close, like those slow close ins into Roy, like it that feels like movie magic to me. Like, I love how romantic that feels when he, you see him. I mean, great performance. I love the lead performance. And you see him transforming when he is emoting into the film and, and into the music, rather. And, and and then you have the other guy, right, who is like picking his nose, digging for gold while that's happening. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the, the artistry on display here. And I definitely, it was interesting because I was obviously picking up on the Roy Ray comparison and yeah, the loving filming of the music clearly being how presumably Satyajit Ray feels about music. Um, And so it's, it's, and, and I think most artists, directors uh, can identify with this uh, desire and obsession with art. Uh, You know, you, you want to ignore the world outside of you because you are so focused on your art, especially artists like Bergman and, and like Ray. Like, I think they were they seems like they, from what I've read about them, they were meticulous artists who were were obsessed with the work they were creating, and I could see Ray probably identifying with this character, but also this seems like an indictment of this character too. Like, it seems like a a character study and an indictment of 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 rich men who who use their money for themselves and not the people that they um are supposed to care about. And it's interesting to me because like. Not to say he this character reminds me of modern-day Republicans, but it kind of does because, like, he doesn't even, like, care or acknowledge the tragedies happening outside of his home. These floods, these floodings that are happening, which presumably, I, again, I'm missing the context there, but I presume it must be from some sort of real events that were happening. You know, the, the, the land is being flooded. People are losing their homes. People are dying. He does not care. It's barely a thing in the film until his son dies. Maybe the only other thing he cared about as much as music, right? and and to me this is the best sequence of the film for me because we'll talk about it maybe in a second before you know i, I remember, it's a weird longy episode um i didn't have a a lot of emotional connection to the story and i think that was also a detriment to me i didn't really find a lot of um story to grasp on to like again it's a very vibey movie like not much happens you're kind of just watching this this man rot in his music room um but the sequence with the son dying is really stunning this that shot of you see him from afar and you kind of can tell what's happening you see the body kind of outlined in the light and then that shot that I love made my favorite in the whole movie was the body kind of limp with with Roy in the in the kind of background and and like a harsh foreground shot of the man carrying the kid and then it kind of the as the the, as he moves closer that it just it's such a brilliant the cinematography in this movie is amazing but like i loved that moment specifically and the moment he loses his son like it's really emotional it's really beautiful and to me it reminds me of people who like they don't care about it until it shows up on their front door like this is really shitty but there was like in tennessee this is a there was a shooting that happened near people I care about in Tennessee. And then suddenly all of these like Republican Tennessee moms were like, wait, we don't have gun laws. And it's like, no, we don't, because you vote against them. And it's, and it's, and and obviously like what happened in Tennessee was um, a tragedy. What happens in schools all around our world uh, is a tragedy. And it's like, I think sometimes people just don't realize how horrific it is until it, until it's in their house. And I think that was interesting to me, that sobering moment of like when his son dies, the music ends. The music is over. The music room is closed. And so it's like, I don't know. I thought that was so emotionally resonant. And I was kind of craving that from the rest of the film. Um, because even when he opens the music room back up, it doesn't really feel like it's for his son or anything. It's just kind of, yeah, I think maybe I'm saying that I loved that so much. And also, I was craving it from the rest of the film and didn't quite get it.
1: Yeah, I... I agree with you. I think it's really hard to balance interesting stories about power struggles, power dynamics, caste systems, systems of hierarchy in our everyday life. Like, I loved what you were saying about how this reminds you so much of the current world that we're living in. Because, yeah, I think, like, this is—I loved so much how you said this reminds you of the current world we're living in. But also, like, you can kind of see the Roy Ray comparisons because— Like, I think he really has something to say about caste. And I think he really has something to say about hierarchy and society. And one of the best ways to go about that is to tell the story of a irredeemable, callous and shitty person living in the upper, maybe not highest, but upper echelons of power. Not that this is like, you know, Lydia Tarr, you know, type of power, but like just power in how it's distributed amongst our societies. So, like, that is kind of one of the best ways to tell a story about those kinds of systems, is to tell it about, like, look at this landowner, this person who has tenants and treats them poorly, like, exposing the ugliness in those systems. And then, yeah, to humanize him, to make it a, you know, a human story, to watch him suffer, to watch him mourn the death of his son, is emotionally powerful. It's the most impact that the movie had on me in general as well, Mackenzie, but I definitely agree with you. There was a lot wanting when it came to the overall emotional connection. I really struggled to connect with this thing on any kind of emotional level. And I mean, I'll be brave here and say that even at that moment, I really didn't find myself getting on its level. And I do think, I do truly think, like, this is one of those times where I'm like, the problem's not you, babe, it's me. Like, uh, xia Ray, I am really sorry, but I am, you know, I'm open to loving the Apu trilogy, but it just really left me so cold. And maybe, maybe that's the intention of what he's trying to say. I can see the coldness in a story about, like, look at how the caste system hurts everyone. Also look at this guy. Like, I loved how you put it. Look at him rotting in his music room. Like, how sad. No review of this film on Letterboxd, at least amongst my mutuals, is like, damn, what a good time of the movie. <laughs> no, it's like melancholic, sad, somber, wistful. It's not a fun movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. And I don't want to say that like Shabi Biswas's performance isn't good because I really love his performance. I love his like his 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 wistful looks into the camera. There's that great shot of him looking when he goes into the music room for the first time again and wipes the dust off the mirror and watching him see himself for the first time in a long time amazing incredible moment and i'm not, i definitely don't want to make it indicate to be like because i kind of hate this argument when people are like i have to like a character like, I need a character that I can like. It's like, why do you have to like everybody? Like, like, like I love Tar. I don't like Lydia Tar, but I love that movie. Um, So I'm not, I, I don't think I want to, I don't want to indicate this to be like, I just didn't like Roy. So that's why I feel, but it just, yeah, I didn't feel connected to him. Like, I still, and I don't think this is a bad thing. I still felt connected to Lydia Tar. I felt connected to her story. I felt connected to what was going on with her in, in the film, even though she's a bad person. And that's, I know, right? God, cancel me lesbian solidarity i have to st- i have to stick with tar um but you know what i mean like i was so compelled by her story like i love i love films about bad people because it lets you it like i love raging bull i mean i don't love that guy but like i love that film because i love existing in this character's sphere for a little while and um i think he almost wasn't like he wasn't bad enough but he also wasn't good enough he was so middle of the road i couldn't quite tell how to feel about him and part of that might be because i am a little ignorant about um the class commentary happening here. I mean, obviously, I'm like, well, he's a landlord who doesn't take care of people. He fucking sucks. But um, I don't know if I had a strong enough feeling about him. I guess like I guess either way, I didn't didn't love him. I didn't hate him. Yeah, I think that's my big thing. As I agree, I was left a little cold by the film. But I agree that like I don't think that's fully the film's fault. I think a lot of it's on me.
1: Yeah, and I absolutely agree with you. Uh, you know, the the way in which this character is portrayed is absolutely wonderful. I I think I think the skill on display here is immaculate. That being said, like I really again, Mackenzie, I really love how you put it. He never does anything incredibly heinous. Like he's irresponsible with money and he's also I mean, it is heinous to be a landlord. Like that is just a <laughs> that is just a negative mark against you no matter what. But it's yeah, he never like he never draw and quarters anybody on screen, but he also like never gives anybody a pot of gold on screen. Like he's never, he's, he's really just like a down the road, selfish person. He should do his um, wife,
0: but she's also kind of a non-character. Like once, yeah. once she's he's like, I sold the jewels. We like never see her again. Like, yeah. She just disappears.
1: I think what we're coming to is that we both really just are fish out of water With this film, like really being dumped into the deep end of Indian culture and uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of years of trauma in regards to the caste system impacted upon, inflicted upon an entire people that we really do not have a comprehension um, of at all. I mean,
0: brush rule, that's also again another, everything going on with that independent movement is also totally not anything I am aware of, um me yeah. neither
1: at all, yeah, I mean, it's weird, isn't it because it's like we're both feeling cold on the film a little bit. it seems, but I think we both recognize its importance and also its craft like there i this was his debut, correct
0: It's not I don't know if it's his debut, but it's really early. it's like it's it's a very early film for
1: him. um, let me if anything, me take a look. if anything, no matter. What, whether it was a, his debu- debut or not, the fact that it's early is like, in a way, almost incredibly promising to me. Like... Um, this was his fourth film, because Pathar Pachali was
0: actually his first film, oh, followed by the okay. second film in the Apu trilogy, a film called, uh, Parosh Pathar, and then The Music Room.
1: Got it. So the third final The fi-
0: poster for Parosh Pathar is so scary. <laughs> uh, so if everyone go look at this, it's very scary. Um, it's, very, it's, a, it's a spooky poster. Uh, Someone with, like, blackened teeth.
1: I've got... It. Oh, shit. <laughs> right? That's a spooky poster. Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. Um. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, Mackenzie, I guess we should bring it on home because it does seem like we, you know, have kind of come to a natural end in the conversation. But if you have anything else you'd love to add, I would love to hear your final thoughts and your star rating. For The Music Room.
0: Yeah, um, I agree. The artistry on display here is stunning. I loved the way this movie looked. I love the way it felt. I loved, I, I say vibey as a positive thing. I love the musical sequences. I love the cinematography. I think there's just so much. You could tell it's like an early film, but there's also so much skill. I, I love that. I love that stuff. I It's how I feel about Bound, a movie I love. You know, like, it's clearly an early film, but there's so much skill on display. You're like, Blood Simple. Like, I think of these amazing debuts, these early films that I have from, from filmmakers I love. And you can see the scrappiness in them, but the skill is so there. And it's the it's the seed of a great filmmaker that will that will one day be a household name. And uh, I think that's all here. I mean, there's this, there was that particular moment where it's kind of panning around the columns. And Roy is, like, anchored in the center of the frame the entire time, even as the camera kind of pans around the room like it's so immersive it's so beautiful those great close-ups on roy when he's listening to the music that just feel like pure movie magic the way he films the uh, musical sequences like i i i love the way this movie looks um artistry wowed me uh, the ending also got a little abstract we didn't really talked about the ending like i, I wasn't trying to feel, I think about the ending with like the candles going out, the spider showing up. I I couldn't quite tell if that was just another kind of like he's decaying, his own moral decay uh is reflected in the music room. Like maybe that's that is. Just wanted to throw that out there because maybe it makes me sound smarter like I got the ending. Um but yeah, I think we've we've made it pretty obvious that we're both left a little cold. And I think I definitely want to just take this and say like it's it's me. I think it's me. I think that I could see why people love this movie. Um, I think I'm missing out on a lot of context that wasn't spoon-fed to me. I'm not saying I wanted it to be, but um, because it wasn't, I think I was just missing out on a lot. And, and I was I was yearning for a bit more emotional connection to the characters. Um, so I think I'm at three stars just down the road. It's a really, really beautiful movie. It's a really great movie. I bet listeners, you might l- watch it and you might love it. So I recommend giving it a chance. Um, and while it did not resonate with me, as deeply as i wanted i will be watching more ray films i might watch a hero next i've heard that's really really good the hero um yeah i want to watch more of his films i'm i'm re- i'm into him as a filmmaker i this is not the end of my of my associate ray journey but ian uh hannah you're a little you're a little simpler than me I'm curious where you're gonna land
1: yeah i mean i feel pretty much exactly the same way that you do, Mackenzie. And like I, you know, at the risk of parroting you, I also feel like the artistry on display here is incredibly just immense. Like I was really struck with the cinematography. I really, really, really loved, even though I'm unsure of its meaning, like the use of the chandelier as a motif, as I said up front, like especially its stark contrast against a black backdrop to bookend the film. That was really interesting. I'd be interested to revisit this film and kind of try to unpack some of the more symbolic or allegorical elements of the film, which I'm sure are there. But I just, again, I really wasn't emotionally on the same wavelength of this film, which, you know, again, to parrot you is a me problem. I really do feel that way. And it re- really comes down sometimes to just your personal um instinct, you know, like what do you really feel like coming out of a film? Do you really feel like that was the film's fault? Do you feel like the filmmaker failed you? Or do you feel like you failed the filmmaker and the film? And I do feel like I did that, the latter at least, because I like like you, I don't have all this knowledge of India's, you know, thousands years of history and also the colonial conflict that kind of led up to the environment in which this film is taking place. And also made the man, Satyan Ray himself, like I'd be interested to learn a little bit more about that, maybe have a little bit of a primer before going into and then another Ray film. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm also landing at three stars. I thought the performances in this uh were just, you know, all around really, really wonderful. I thought that the music and the way that it was filmed was kind of phenomenal. Um, you know, I really, really felt the trance that we were talking about like deeply during that like big musical dance sequence with the dancer as the bells attached to her ankles is it it is it is very transcendental and just meditative um yeah no it's 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 a really interesting film i really do like you see why people really love this a lot of people that i follow on letterboxd and that follow me they seem to really really love it and i hope to get there one day but yeah once again sitting at three stars for this but uh yeah Maybe maybe it'll climb in the future.
0: That's the thing. As you were talking, I went and added my uh, one of my new my new tags that I love. Further down the road is my is a new tag I've started, where it's I tag these films that I think I might like later in my life. Uh, I tag them further down the road. Uh, so I've just added the music room to that tag because I think I think it deserves that. But also, Ian, I have to say I have to, I said this to you before, in the last like month and a half, between Carol Reed. Toshigahara and Bergman and now Ray we have gone so mid on movies by some of the most like acclaimed filmmakers of all time uh I just have to acknowledge that before before our listeners do because it is making me kind of laugh
1: yeah and I will I will say I came to this realization while having a conversation but they've all been really sad films like we're really getting beat over the head
0: we're in a low point in terms of emotional emotional uh stuff here on the show um but before i mean who who knows we may be continuing that i have no idea because normally we actually plan ahead but this week um Just due to circumstances, I actually do not know what we're watching next week. So Ian's going to surprise me. I'm feeling kind of like ADP right now. (laughs) Um, But before, Ian, you surprised me with your pick to connect to the music room. Because I I don't even think I said this earlier. This is a new double feature. We're beginning. So next week's will be our second point in that. Um, But Ian, do we have any letters? I actually don't know.
1: No, we do not, Mackenzie.
0: No worries. Well, if we don't have any letters, then... People, if you want to email us about any of the double features we've done, you want to tell us why we're wrong about the music room, uh, if you want to talk about whatever Ian's going to reveal to me momentarily, uh, you can email us your letters, your voicemails at thecriterionconnection at gmail.com. We'll share them on the show, baby. Send that email. Smack that little email for us. Ian. Surprise me, baby. What's going on?
1: Let's do it. Oh, we're uh, we're telling people to tell us we're wrong a lot lately. I've noticed yeah. as well.
0: <laughs> Look, I am always willing to hear. I love people talking about movies they love. So, like, if I if we don't like a movie you love, I wonder why you love it. Genuinely, tell us.
1: So, yeah. no, I agree. Yeah. Well, okay, I will tell you, Mackenzie. I will surprise you. <laughs> uh, you know this this uh, this film, the Music Room. It kind of came up. At the last second, it was like a thing that we put into this last episode while we were, you know, getting ready to record Hour of the Wolf. And I just struggled and struggled and struggled to find a pick to come up with it. And so forgive me, everybody. This is a little bit basic. This is a film that is under the Similar Films banner on the Criterion website for The Music Room. I think you can even find this film under The Music Room's letterbox page. So, I really didn't do any deep digging, but I watched the trailer for this film and I read a little bit about it and I was like, you know what, having now seen The Music Room, it does thematically seem to connect. So, we'll be watching a film that Letterboxd describes as Lucino Visconti's enduring romantic adventure, as Garibaldi's troops begin the unification of Italy in the 1860s in aristocracy An aristocratic Sicilian family grudgingly adapts to the sweeping social changes undermining their way of life. Proud but pragmatic Prince Don Fabrizio Cellini allows his war hero nephew Giancredi to marry Angelica, the beautiful daughter of Gauche bourgeois Don Calaguero, in order to maintain the family's accustomed level of comfort and political clout. My apologies to all the Italians in the audience, but we are watching <laughs> Lachino Visconti's The Leopard starring Burt Lancaster and returning to the show Elaine Delon. Whoa. Guess who else is returning to the show? Claudia Cardinale. Claudia
0: from Eight and a Half, another yes. film from a iconic filmmaker we were going to met on. Yes. Um. Whoa. Okay, I have a question that you might be able to answer. This is an Italian film, and yet it stars Burt Lancaster. Is it in Italian? Does Burt speak Italian?
1: Burt Lancaster, the daddy, can speak Italian. Oh,
0: my God. Burt's also freaking returning from Sweet Spell Success. Did you already say that? Okay. Well...
1: I did not say that part okay. no. um, But, yeah. No, fun fact before we go about this film. It was filmed in Italy in Italian, and Burt Lancaster and, I believe, Claudia Cardinale, they were the only two actors who could dub their voices for the English language version because this is a 20th Century Fox studio production.
0: Whoa, this is wild. Okay. That, yeah, uh, that synopsis makes it sound loaded. It seems like we're going to have yet another uh, political
1: <laughs> uh, yes. film for next week that I have to do my homework this time. Yep. And uh, you might need to set aside a couple hours because it's uh, just shy of three-hour <laughs> films.
0: Oh, my midday yeah. movie watching is uh, is canceled. I will set a whole night aside for this yes. boy.
1: I am hopeful that it will be at, at at the very least impressive. I love how we're going in with a lot of hope. We're we're really, we're really
0: hyping this up for people. <laughs> um, unfortunately, it's not available to stream, so I will be renting this. But uh, yeah, hey, if y'all watch along with us, if you watch this three-hour Italian epic starring Burt Lancaster with us, you've got to write it legally to our podcast uh so yeah just let you go on with that
1: so yes please do uh but yeah mackenzie uh oh here's hoping we crawl back into the sunshine one day do you have anything else nothing else for me well until then see you next time
0: on the criterion connection